Homeopathy for Health in Africa is a non-profit organization working to help some of the world's most vulnerable citizens. They are a 100% donor-funded grassroots organization that creates on-the-ground sustainable healthcare programs through homeopathic treatment and training. I personally only donate to organizations where I know the money will go directly to the people who need it most instead of getting gobbled up in advertising and administration. So I am a proud sponsor of Homeopathy for Health in Africa and I can be rest assured that my $22 monthly contribution will buy 10 prepared homeopathic remedies or pay for one of the locals to organize an outreach clinic. I love that such a small amount keeps homeopathy alive and helps so many people. Change comes from action, not thought. So if you're somebody who wants to make a difference for the future of homeopathy, donate now by visiting www.homeopathyforhealthinafrica.org. That's homeopathyforhealthinafrica.org. And in case you're wondering, this advert is sponsored by me. So not a cent has been spent on advertising, which means more money can go to the people who need it most. Today we speak with homeopath and fertility specialist Sapna Mataru. Sapna shares with us her own struggles with fertility and how this has sparked her passion for using homeopathy to help others who are in the same boat as she was. If you or somebody you know is currently struggling to conceive, then this is definitely the episode for you. Sapna covers a lot of very valuable information and I urge you to make a booking with her before exploring more invasive methods. You can find her at www.thewildhomeopath.com. That's thewildhomeopath.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we get to hang out with the lovely Sapna Mataru. Welcome, Sapna. Hello. Thank you for having me. It is so, so lovely having you on today. And uh, I just quickly have to say, listeners, uh, we did the most incredible podcast interview a couple of months ago, and for some reason, Zoom corrupted the file and we could not get it up. So this is take two, but I have to say, I'm not too sad about it because I had such a great time chatting with you and it's such a lovely excuse to have you on again. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The universe works in mysterious ways, but I think it was the right way. <laughs> it really does. So we're going to be chatting about a few extra things today and going to be talking about a topic that is so close to my heart and causes so much heartache for so many families, and that is all about fertility. But before we get into that, Sapna, can you please tell our listeners how you were first introduced to homeopathy and what was your journey to homeopathy? Well, I think unlike most people, mine was really spontaneous. Um, I tend to do things in a spontaneous fashion without any thought. But I had an infertility journey myself. Um, so we tried for three years to get pregnant with my son. And in that time, you know, we were off the ilk that we tried everything, but we actually didn't try anything. And then as is usual, we got referred to IVF. And at that point, I thought, you know, we need to, we need to really make this happen because we only had one round for free so I had, to, I had to have it work but they told me there was a 33% chance of it working and I thought oh, those odds were a bit low mm. so I did a bit of research into um, you know the sorts of things that I could do to enhance our chances of being that 33% and it's really odd because when you go to the IVF clinic it's so clinical there's none of the warmth of you know conception there's none of the intimacy there's maybe I don't know eight or ten other couples sitting in a really 
horribly decorated room, get a PowerPoint presentation, and then you are just sent away with a bag of hormones. And I found that really, you know, difficult to to kind of reconcile in my head as opposed to how we actually naturally have children. So I did a bit of research into things that I could do to enhance our chances and change my diet, stop smoking, stop drinking overnight, um, stop living that really hedonistic lifestyle. And then, you know, went through the through the injection of hormones and it worked. We were pregnant the first time. And I was overjoyed. Um, and then pregnancy. And then it came to thinking about birth. And by pure chance, and this is what I mean, the universe works with you, not mm-hmm. against you. Mm. So I was at these yoga classes and I kind of decided I didn't really like the yoga teacher because I paid in advance these classes. We'd gone away on holiday and I had a bleed. So I didn't want to go to that class when we came back. And and I know this isn't a big deal. Everyone needs to earn a living. But she didn't refund my money. She said, oh, sorry. And I was like, oh, OK. So I found a different yoga class and met a hypnobirthing teacher there. And she was going to do a group session with us all. But as it happened, everyone else rearranged. So it was just her and me and my husband. So I invited her around to my house. And I went from, I'm probably going to have a C-section to, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have a home birth. This is amazing. <laughs> Hypnobirthing did that for me too. (laughs) It's literally in the space of, you know, in the space of, I didn't even do the hypnobirthing. It was just listening to her in this yoga class. So then we got this whole thing where they were trying to induce me because I had a small baby, bonkers, I know. Mm, mm. Um, So we called called up the hypnobirthing teacher. Her name's Kemi Johnson. And she was actually a private midwife as well, but she wasn't practicing at that time. And Ravi convinced her to be our private midwife. So she supported us. I had a beautiful birth. I didn't know anything about homeopathy. And now when I look back on that birth, I know what remedies I should have taken. Mm. So Mm. I didn't have to go in the birth center. But, you know, it was a learning process. So then I decided, right, he's, you know, we conceived this baby and there was loads of kind of intervention. I don't want any more intervention for him. I don't want to give him unnecessary drugs. Vaccination question came up. and then. I thought, okay, if I'm not going to go down a route to look after him conventionally, how am I going to look after him? Mm-hmm. I can't just hope for the best. There has to be something. And I was on an online Facebook group called Arnica, and a lot of people spoke about homeopathy, and it kept popping up. And I thought, oh, what is this? What is this? And then pushed it aside. And then I heard of a CHE Open Day and I wanted to learn about homeopathy because it kept coming up and I thought, oh, the universe is trying to tell me something. Um, so I went to the Open Day and all I wanted to do was know more about homeopathy. And my husband was outside with my son in Regent's Park. And uh, I think I was there, I don't know, maybe two hours, four hours. I came out of there and I said to my husband, yeah, just signed up for a four-year course to learn to be a homeopath. <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> And that was it. That was the beginning of the journey. And I didn't even know what Hanukkah was. Wow. I didn't know anything about homeopathy. But, you know, um, I think three months later, I started, dived in, and I've never looked back. It's just been an incredible journey. It's been amazing. Amazing. And then, you know, when I graduated from from college, I really wanted to to specialise in something. And I thought about birth. And then I realized, well, actually, you can't just start homeopathy at a birth stage. That's bonkers. 
So I took a step back and I thought, right, people need to understand about pregnancy and how Mm. it can help in pregnancy because it's amazing. And then I remembered my own journey with fertility and I thought, well, actually, that's what I want to do. I want to help people become pregnant. And here I am today. I mean, that's such a wonderful job to do because um, fertility, I mean, if you want a child, I don't know, the heartache that and, and realize that, you know, you're not conceiving straight away. The heartache that we see in clinic of these of these patients is just almost unbearable. If you just assume that you'll be able to fall pregnant easily, I mean, nobody really plans to struggle with fertility unless they know they've had a history of PCOS or endometriosis, so they know there might be issues. But for most people, it kind of just catches them off guard. They just assume they're not going to have any issues, and then suddenly they start trying, and it's just not happening for them. And the heartache that goes with that can, you know, just be really hard, and especially if all their friends around them are starting to have babies and they are just not having any success, then, you know, oh my gosh, it's just so hard. And homeopathy, of course, it's just so incredible with supporting people on on all levels, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. So can you maybe tell us, uh, Sapna, because it's never just one thing, right? What are some of the reasons why people might struggle to fall pregnant? There are so many reasons. And I think it's a result of the way that we live Mm -hmm. these days. You know, modern society doesn't support conception it doesn't support connection to who we are um and what I often find when I speak to clients is roughly you know there's nine kind of areas which are the root cause of why they're not feeling Mm. pregnant and it could be one it could be a combination of those but it's things like diet processed food has got a lot to answer for you know there's a really interesting um and I'm sure some of the people have heard about it but fourth phase of water so, you know, it's, it's like that viscous type, egg white type of phase of water. Um, and we only kind of know about ice, liquid yeah. and gas, but that fourth phase of water. And this really links back to homeopathy, actually. But I digress. This fourth <laughs> phase of water, that's what our food's made of. That's what our cellular structure is made of. That's what the cells in plants is made of. And that's what is the nutrient dense where we get all our minerals from. But if we're eating dry processed food all the time, we're not getting that nourishment. And, you know, we live in a really fast paced society. It's really Mm -hmm. difficult to say, right, you know, I'm going to get my five vegetables in a day. I aim for 10. But, you know, it's really difficult to make these changes because we're bombarded with all this messaging. Oh, have this. It's easy. It's easy. So nutrition is a really big one. Mm -hmm. But, you know, on that being fast and easy, everything is kind of rooted in that that speed of life Mm. um it creates stress Mm. and so many people are stressed and they don't even realize it but stress hormones work you know in relation to our reproductive hormones so if we are uh, producing more stress hormones on a chronic level then it's gonna suppress our um, reproductive hormones Mm. so stress is a major one emotional trauma is something that is is really underrated we have, especially in Britain, this attitude of just getting on with it. And I, I hear a lot of people who are going through fertility journeys just getting on with it. Oh, I'm just going to get on with it because everyone else around them is pregnant and because they've still got to live their life. They can't sit with themselves to process every failed cycle of IVF or you know miscarriages or not even becoming pregnant in the first place naturally. So that's a lot to have to deal with. Mm. And part of the reason that happens is because of this toxic overload that we're exposed to. I live in London, so 
I walk out my front door and already I've got pollution in my face. I live on a flight path. So then there's that, there's those planes constantly overhead. And, you know, even walks to school. Most people don't even go outside. So then there's the sun exposure as well. Mm -hmm. But there's that kind of pollution. But internally in what we do ourselves, what we put on our bodies and what we absorb physically is the creams, the perfumes, the diffusers, the shampoo, the makeup, all of that has got chemicals in that cause things like estrogen dominance. So they, you know, impact the cycle, our hormonal cycle, which then, you know, it's such a delicate thing. This is what people don't understand. They think, and this is why it's a, it's a really um, weird model of adding synthetic hormones in, because when you do that, you think you're fixing something, but you're not, mm. because what you're doing is impacting every other hormone in that cycle, because it works in a cascade. Mm. So, you know, if you've got low progesterone, often what happens is you get a progesterone cream or a progesterone pessary. Mm. But actually, the problem is your estrogen dominance. So it's your progesterone in relation to your estrogen. It's not just a single hormone. It's a Mm. beautiful dance. And by fracturing that dance, you're actually causing more problems than doing good. So there's a toxic overload. And then a lot of people haven't got the education or knowledge to know when they should be having sex to become pregnant. and It sounds simple, but actually that is, I, I, I cannot tell you the amount of people that have come to see me and said, you know, having trouble falling pregnant. I'll ask them, what day do you ovulate? And they'll say, oh, my app says it's on this day. It's like, no, your app does not know when you're ovulating. Your body knows when you're ovulating. So they, it's simply as much as just educating them on looking for cervical changes, maybe doing a pee stick to see when is your, you know, levels high, when should you be having sex? When are you actually ovulating? Not listening to the app. So yeah, ladies, please just don't listen to the app. (laughs) Absolutely. And I spoke to someone a couple of days ago who, and I I was saying, it was just like an initial call and I was saying, okay, when are you having sex? Oh, straight after, straight after my period. I was like, okay, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. But it's phenomenal the amount of misinformation online. Women should be, we should be taught this at school, you know, to be in touch with our bodies. Your cycle is so, it gives us such valuable information of what is happening in our body. And when are you ovulating? What's this good cervical mucus? Like, yeah, natural family planning or natural contraception. Yeah. And, you know, it's effective. It's effective. You're only, you're only fertile. Well, We're fertile for two days, but there's a five-day fertility window because Mm. sperm can live Mm -hmm. for five to six days. Mm -hmm. So, but people don't understand this. And especially when you've got low libido and you're forcing yourself to (laughs) kind of have sex. That can be a revelation for a lot of people. Um, And then the last thing, which I also think isn't really considered in the, um, well, it is a little bit in the kind of modern model of medicine Mm. is um what we bring with us what we inherit from our parents and our grandparents and it's not things that are obvious and this is where when we're talking about use of the oral contraceptive pill Mm. and people Mm. will say but I've never taken the pill or any synthetic hormones then the next question is well did your mum or did your grandmother because we're down to that generation now and the imprint that that leaves, even if you haven't yourself taken the pill, is relevant to fertility. And I recently learned about uh, DS daughters and DES sons. And this was the first version of the pill or synthetic hormone from the 40s and 50s. But women who had taken that, now their um, 
daughters and granddaughters are having issues with cancers, infertility, subfertility, and their sons are as well. And this is something that's overlooked because we kind of think that this is a female, a female line because society is putting all the pressure on females. Mm. But actually, there's low fertility, small testes and problems with sperm in men as well as a result of their mothers or grandmothers taking the pill. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to consider. And, you know, in homeopathy, we consider all of that. It's not just, okay, let's concentrate on your fertility. It's about elevating your health in order for the priority of your body to focus on reproduction. Because if you've got all these other things going on, where is your energy focus? It's focused on, you know, your inflammation or it's focused Mm -hmm. on... PCOS or trying to constantly trying to balance hormones or trying to deal with emotional trauma that you're pushing down and Mm. repressing so we need to bring that energy back and that's this is the work that you know I do I I bring your energy back to reproduction Mm. so then your body's right right this is a fertile ground this is where this baby is going to flourish and then you become pregnant and it's very important that people understand what's going on Mm. so they'll often find that random things that they've had for ages that they didn't think was connected to infertility suddenly get better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if your cortisol is really high, your body's not going to go, oh, let's make a baby. It's going to say, let's use all our resources to run away from this imaginary tiger. So yeah, Yeah. I just want to check as well something. You said something about DS, sons and daughters? DES. um, Oh, DES? DES. So it was the first form of synthetic hormone. Um, you can Google it. It's got a long name, which I can't oh, okay. pronounce. <laughs> okay, no, that's fine. I just <laughs> hadn't heard that one before, so I, I just wanted to make sure that I double check that. So, you know, I often I think if I miss something, then our listeners have probably got the same question in their minds. So I just wanted to clarify that. And also sometimes other parts of the world have got different acronyms for things. So then I always like to clarify that as well. Um, yeah, you're so right. And um, I just want, yeah, I just, as you're talking, it just made me think of a case that I had of infertility who it's a, you know, young couple, they have have had all the tests done there was literally no reason why they should not fall pregnant and so they came to see me and it turns out that there was a history of sexual abuse in the mum and I said to her listen I am not going to try and get you pregnant right now because until we deal with this trauma of the sexual abuse you are not going to get pregnant so literally all I did was give her a remedy to assist with that trauma of that incident saw her eight, eight weeks later and she was pregnant so <laughs> You know, sometimes people don't like don't think about the mental emotional reasons behind why they're not falling pregnant. And I'm so glad you said about the men as well, because, you know, society puts so much pressure on the woman. But if you have a partner who is smoking pot every day. His little dudes are not going to swim like they should. <laughs> and right. if you've got a guy who's drinking a lot, it's just not going to happen. And I actually, oh my gosh, I had a client who, you know, she had so many miscarriages, but her husband is an alcoholic. So, you know, my heart breaks for her because she desperately wants a second baby. But I keep telling her nothing is really going to change until your husband stops drinking because the quality of a sperm is not going to be great. So the, I don't believe that the infertility or the miscarriage is actually anything to do with her. I really do think that it's to do with a, with a faulty sperm. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Well, this is quite interesting because I think it feeds into the way that our society is built. And I was reading this thing recently and I read it a really long time ago, but I couldn't find it. And I I found it again. It was work by Melissa Aslim. And the only thing I remembered about it was the kind of origin of the word taboo. And it came from a practice called tapu, 
which was a celebration. And she said that, and I've read more into this as well, because I love the history of -hmm. of femininity, basically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that practice, women, when they were menstruating, they were largely together and they kind of came together away from men separately to support one another. And they also aligned with the lunar cycles Mm. and they aligned with each other. And we know that that's true because, you know, when you when you were at college or university and you were living with a bunch of females, we all had our periods at the same time. (laughs) We all did. And I feel like it's the the world trying to remind us, you know, when you think that this is the right way and showing us the path of being together and supporting each other at that time. And so that got misunderstood by these Western anthropologists or missionaries or whoever they were. And they kind of thought that the women had been banished. And it's really interesting because that has kind of, that thought process or that concept of banishing seems to have crossed loads of cultural barriers now. I was speaking to my niece the other day and she just um, started her period and she was saying that she was going to some religious event, but she couldn't go because she was on her period. And it's no. seen as something maybe that's a bit shameful or dirty. Or something really? Like that. In 2022? Really? Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. And I, you know, I took that on board and I thought it started this thought process of, right, where did this come from? Because this is part of the sacred feminine, the divine feminine. I mean, we're amazing what we do. We grow humans and we house them. And then, you know, I think the birth is such a sacred thing because... Mm. You're not just birthing a baby, you're birthing yourself as a mother every yeah. single time. Yeah. You know, it's different every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I just, then I started looking into the remedy folliculinum a little bit more. And this remedy is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But the associations and the overlay with what we're meant to be doing and how we're meant to be living. So when I was talking about our fast paced society, people don't live in tune with nature anymore. Mm. And when we're talking about women and when we're talking about conceiving, if you think about the first half of our cycle, when we're trying to attract a mate in time for mm-hmm. ovulation, mm-hmm. we are all about outward looking and, mm-hmm. you know, what's out there and trying to be social and trying to make ourselves attractive. And therefore our focus is on what other people think of us. But then if you, if that egg is fertilized at ovulation, then we need to come back into ourselves because we need to focus on promoting this really healthy environment for this fetus to grow but we don't do that what we do is just carry on exactly the same and giving to other people because we're at work because we have other children we're not living in a community um, that helps us raise and supports us to raise those children we've got so many demands on us and then as and this is where the pill comes in because when I was younger I mean I never took the pill I took it for four days because it didn't and it didn't agree with me so I just thought oh, right you were so it. lucky <laughs> I know I know it is luck but um this is where the pill comes in you know and I thought god it's emancipated women now they can just have free sex just mm. like men can you know it's brilliant but I actually think it's imprisoned us okay. in many ways because we've got the freedom to now go out and work and exert and I say this in quotation marks <laughs> some control over our fertility mm. But everything that we had to do before we had the freedom to work, we still have to do. Mm. So in fact, we've now got more work to do than we had originally. 
And I think that's that's entrapped us rather than emancipated us in certain ways. And then you go on to the like the, the physical impact and the emotional impact of the pill. Mm. You know, people became suicidal mm. at the beginning after taking it because it had such a drastic impact on their endocrine cycle. And the moodiness, the the teariness before periods and you know this whole concept where men say oh she's on her period and it's a lot of the time it's not even us it's the fact that the pill has put this filter on top of us and we're not even who we are and I see a phenomenal amount of people who have been impacted Mm, by that same Um, same it keeps our clinics very busy (laughs) yeah and I just that's why I think it's so important to have that education and Mm. you know there's loads of work being done around about uh, around that about um natural family planning or natural mm. conception mm. um and it's great because i think it will really bring women back into themselves mm. and who they really are you know without that filter of whatever's been put on top of them mm, um, absolutely I just quickly wanted to add, it's interesting that you said about the taboo and the taboo because, uh, you know, I lived in New Zealand for many years um, and actually half my life I lived, I consider myself Kiwi, but uh, the the Maori have a word, uh, tapu, which means sacred. It actually got a few different meanings, but often, yeah, it will be used in in the form of of sacred. So when you said that, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I I did Latin at school for a couple of years, actually, partly because I I went to a girls' school and the Latin was available as a subject at the boys' school. So we were allowed to go over to the boys' school for an hour a week to go learn to go learn Latin um but I am also fascinated by languages I always have been and um so yeah the two years of Latin but I've always been interested in the root word like you know the where does a word yeah. come from and and that's very interesting also for our listeners I just want to say the remedy folliculinum I actually thought it was made from actual uh, actual estrogen but after I did Hilary Dorian's endocrine lecture on CHE she said that folliculinum is actually made from the contraceptive pill um so I don't know which one and because we do have like a polycontraceptive remedy which has got several contraceptives so yeah. um it's actually very interesting but uh yeah so the remedy folliculinum is not a true sarcode as such it's actually made from the contraceptive pill and in Hillary's lecture she was also talking about how the ovaries are the seat of creativity in a woman and how when we are using the contraceptive pill is actually suppressing our creativity and often how when we use folliculinum is then returning a woman to her creative self and actually just you know bringing that um that healing creative energy back into us which I think is fascinating absolutely Mm -hmm. it is fascinating and You know, on that thing about creation, which is also really important when we're talking about things like endometriosis and PCOS, because fibroids and all those conditions, if you look underneath them, it's about estrogen dominance in relation Mm -hmm. to other hormones. And then you start thinking, well, actually, what's going on here? I heard this really interesting thing recently. You're either creating or destroying Mm -hmm. because that energy doesn't just kind of fizzle out. It does something. So that creative energy, what's happening is, is that destructive force of endometriosis where this, the lining of the womb is kind of just growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. Things like fibroids, it's just this growth and PCOS where there's this struggle to ovulate all the time. Mm-hmm. So that becomes quite destructive. So that energy, instead of being used for creation, is being used to, to I guess, in a really destructive manner instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're coming back to looking at the remedy folliculinum and the amazing action of creativity of our ovaries, it all starts to fit together and it becomes another piece of the puzzle. And then you can really get a deep understanding of 
the power of action of that remedy. And I've actually got, I've got a case. It's a fertility case, but this woman's not pregnant yet. We've been working together, I think, for three months. And she didn't have any periods. She, she had two, I think, in 2021. And then that was it. And then she went to a GP to get some tests and she had really low AMH. So that's just saying for anyone that doesn't understand the fertility speak that you've got a low egg reserve. Mm. So it makes it more difficult to become pregnant. Mm. However, I'm just going to point out that AMH is something that comes from IVF clinics because they need you to have a higher egg reserve in order to harvest eggs. Naturally, if you're going down the natural route, you only need one good quality egg. Exactly. So don't come fixated on your AMH level mm-hmm. um so she was devastated anyway she she got this letter saying you've got really low AMH your only chance now is a donor egg and she she turned 40 and I I said look okay let's let's refocus here we need to reframe what this means so I explained to her about you know IVF clinics the AMH and I said stick with it stick with the homeopathy treatment don't just do two two um, months and think everything's going to change because this has been going on for a really long time. Mm. And she said, okay, fine. One of the things that she was having was loads of hot flashes all the time at nighttime. And she went away on holiday for her 40th birthday. She came back a week later. She said, they're gone. They're oh, gone. Flashes. They're wow. all gone. Did you and use just folliculinum or is there something else as well? She was having folliculinum, but she was also having lachesis. Ah. That. But they had gone. And for her, that was a game changer. Mm-hmm. She, she would sit, at, she would sit on a, a, you know, out for dinner and start to get these hot flashes and had to go home. She just mm-hmm. couldn't cope with it. So that was stage one. And then I thought, right, what's going on here now? But the hot flashes have gone. Now we need to get her ovulated again. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave her um, a higher potency of folliculinum and I said to her, in two weeks, can you just tell me what's going on? Just send me a quick message. And I just want to know if there's been any changes. A week later, she emails me and says, my period has returned after eight wow. months. Phenomenal. Oh, well, it must be placebo. Surely it's placebo. <laughs> of course. It is. Of course. You know, Total about coincidence. <laughs> her period naturally would have come back after eight months. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, you know, you just become really um, emotionally involved, don't you? Mm, and mm. I just have such a sense of joy mm. when I get these emails that, oh, this has happened. I'm like, right, that's it. We're going to get you ovulating next. Oh. This is going to happen. And it's just, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling to be part of people's healing mm. journeys. Um, it's amazing when you're seeing that person's body. The body wants to heal itself. It wants mm-hmm. to, like that's the natural tendency for it to want to heal itself. But you need to allow your body to heal itself and get out of your own way. And that's where homeopathy yeah. is so beautiful because if you just trust the process and you can see these things happening. I just, I remember this one case of this client of mine with, she had, who was just really struggling to fall pregnant, but she had the most insane candida and it was just mm-hmm. everywhere. She had the super itchy ears and she had constant thrush. And I said to her, you are not going to get pregnant until we get rid of this thrush. And so hang in there, hang in there. And she stuck with yeah. me. It was, you know, it took maybe six months or so, but every month when she'd come back, the thrush was less and it was less and the ears were less itchy. And I was like, your body is heading in the right direction. When I see you next, you're going to be pregnant because you could just see it reducing every 
single month. Her body was just heading in that right way. And Candida, actually, this is what I learned through Liz Laylor's fertility protocol, and we've had her on the podcast too. Candida can be a huge issue for why people are not falling pregnant. Anyway, so uh, yeah, just there was a happy ending. She fell pregnant. And of course, Sapna, you know this as well. When you get that text message, you know, and the, the mom say, or this lady, the client sends you that positive fertility test, and then you get a photo of the bump, and then you get a photo of the baby, and then you get to see that baby. Like it makes it all worthwhile. That is literally my favorite part of the job. <laughs> I know it's it's amazing. It is amazing. my first baby that I held with uh, is now ten or eleven years old, and it's like wow. every time his mum puts on photos. I was still a student, so that was my second ever case that I took was an infertility case, and she came back six weeks later. She was pregnant, and uh, yeah, so that boy, oh, sorry, that girl is now. Yeah, she must be 10 now, but she's, uh, and I helped her after that with her second bubby as well. So that was a little boy. And every time she puts photos of them on Facebook, I'm like, oh, so cool. I know, I know, it's amazing. Yeah. I think my first ever um, fertility client has gone on to have her second baby now without any issues. It's amazing. And you know, that case was, that case was about emotional trauma. We were talking about this earlier and also the smoking of pot. Mm. from the partner so you know he he smoked pot for a really really long time but he had no health issues he'd stopped so I I had to put him on like a really gentle homeopathic detox because I could see no other remedies for him he had a really good lifestyle really good Mm. health um but with her it was all about emotional trauma and you know she felt abandoned by her mother Mm. and when you have issues with your mother there's mother a mother wound Mm. then you know, that is going to impact your ability and what you think and your thought process around becoming pregnant and becoming a mother yourself. Mm. And she became pregnant in one month. Wow. Uh, so for our lovely listeners, uh, you don't have the benefit of seeing the video, but we have just got the most beautiful picture here of Sapna's gorgeous little one walking in and they are just having a breastfeed while she is recording. So this is just like, how good is this? <laughs> it's the best. I used <laughs> when- to Yeah, when I used to have mums in the clinic, like breastfeeding is just one of the most unbelievably beautiful things on the planet. And I used to say to the mums, give me your phone. I am going to take a photo of you breastfeeding your child because it's such a beautiful, special thing. And we need some photographic memories of it because there's not often, I find the dads don't often actually, you know, will take their own initiative and take a photo of us breastfeeding our babies. And now my kids are 10 and seven and I've taken like a few selfies of me breastfeeding. And, you know, a couple of times I forced my husband, I was like, take a photo for me. And now when I look back (laughs) on those photos, they always make me cry. And I'm so glad I took them because it is just the most beautiful thing on the planet. (laughs) My husband always takes photos of me breastfeeding. Oh, he's a goodie. Keep him. (laughs) Actually, mine's a real good I've got one of me at Notting Hill Carnival with my second kid sitting on the curb. Oh, <laughs> I've got like this Havana club cup mm. in my hand and I've got baby on the boob. Oh. And then in the background, my other kid is sleeping in the pushchair. It's ridiculous, but it's the best photo. Oh, I love it. Love it. It's absolutely beautiful. I love when they have those little hands on your chest or sometimes I'll stick their fingers up your nose. I have their hands in your mouth or pull on your earrings, but it's all part of it. And before you know it, you know, they're back chatting you. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's that's already started happening. She's only 20 months old. Oh really? (laughs) Well, obviously language development, if she can do that already, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Something I was going to mention as well, uh, Sapna, is 
With all the estrogen in our environment, you know, obviously a folliculinum is such a good remedy because so many women are taking the pill and obviously that urine that then goes in the waterways. I mean, there's so many, so much drugs in our, in our tap water system anyway. And so many people don't use filtered water and they are just drinking straight from the tap. So you're getting all of those xenoestrogens with all of the plastics in our environment, uh, microbeads. If you're eating a high soy diet and you're getting all those as you know, estrogens in your diet, then that's going to be mimicking your natural hormones and cause all sorts of other issues yep. as well for the men as well as the women. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, this is part of the environmental or toxic overload that I was speaking about. A lot of people aren't educated enough or don't have the not educated. I think that's mm-hmm. the wrong way of putting it. They just don't have the knowledge. Not and the reason, to it, hey? No, not at all. And part of the reason is you Google something about nutrition or you read a book. Forget Google. Let's read a book about <laughs> nutrition. Um, and then you think, oh, right, I've got it. Okay, this is what I need to start doing. And then you read another book about nutrition. And it tells you the opposite of the other book. It is so confusing. And diet culture has changed from just get thin to be healthy. But the model's the same. My way is the best way. But as we say in homeopathy, every single person is individual. And a really long time ago, I listened to a lecture by Robin Murphy, and this was just like a light bulb moment. He said, you should eat intuitively. And we don't do that anymore. We, we can't smell food. We can't touch food because it's wrapped in plastic. We don't know. I don't know when a pineapple is ripe. I don't know when a banana is ripe to eat. And, you know, we should be using all of our senses to mm. eat. And he said, what makes you salivate? He said, if a banana makes you salivate, eat 15 bananas. That's perfectly fine. And at the time, I thought, God, that's bonkers. But after thinking about it a little while, I thought, your body knows. And when we're talking about healing, we're also talking about innate wisdom that we hold mm-hmm. within, within us. Our body knows what to you know, consume and what to eat, and it gives us those signs. So when you're thinking, I really want a banana, then... Have Go a banana. And eat a banana. <laughs> I do and love Dr. Robin Murphy. He is just so practical with his advice. Yeah. I know. Yeah, he's Amazing. sorely missed. I always say he's living on in every single one of us, every single day. Like we all use his knowledge daily. So he's still alive in spirit in all of us. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And you know what? Interesting that you've said spirit because I we haven't really touched on that. And, you know, I think that it's really important from a different level of recursion to look at homeopathy and how wonderful it is in its scope of action, especially in terms of fertility, because I've started thinking about this so much more about the sanctity of kind of conceiving a baby. And we talk a lot about how holistic it is as a form of of medicine. And we often talk about, you know, the mental, the physical and the emotional. But I don't think there's enough talk about the spiritual aspect of homeopathy. And I've become so interested in this you know, recently, because not from a religious perspective, but just from a life perspective, mm-hmm. you know, I believe we're all souls, we're reincarnated, we're on a journey. Perspective. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, if you make a decision to come to earth in, and learn certain things. So when, when I was going through the fertility issue, I remember asking the universe for my son. Mm. I said, whatever, you know, I'll do anything. Just can I have, have a baby? And sometimes when I speak to my son, he says, Mommy, I heard you. I heard you and I chose you. Oh. brings tears to my eyes when he says that. He said, I heard you and I chose you. And I thought, okay, there must have been a reason you chose me. And as part of your soul journey and what you wanted to learn in your life. And it really connects back 
to this whole process of conception and then the pregnancy and then the birth because there's always these traumas that kind of occur during that period and what I often say to my fertility clients is right now you, now you are pregnant carry on down this route if something happens during your pregnancy if you have some sort of shock or some sort of physical trauma or anything just continue to use homeopathy because mm. the moment your baby Mama. Oh, other Other side. Um, Because the moment your baby arrives earthside, that's their kind of, they need to come with nothing, Mm. with none of that trauma, none of those layers on top of them. Mm. And often, because of all the noise and because of what we're told, especially around birth, there is an awful lot of birth trauma going on, Mm. which is completely unnecessary. There's a lot of intervention and this, again, is eroding, you know, our feminine wisdom and our innate wisdom Absolutely. of how to birth babies. And then what you've got is you've got a child that is born and they've already got a trauma. They've already got a weakness because their susceptibility has become higher because they've already been traumatized during a moment which should be really empowering and really mm. sacred. So I think that homeopathy has just this phenomenal power to help avoid that so we come with nothing and you know the more trauma that you're exposed to and it's not processed the kind of weaker your resilience is mm. so the next time you have a trauma then it's easier for you to be negatively impacted by that and homeopathy just you know helps you resolve that helps your body to heal and that's why I think it's so important in that process from well before conception to birth mm-hmm. um and then obviously we see a lot of secondary infertility with birth trauma. And actually, this is a really interesting case that I had. There was a, um, I had a client who had had a birth trauma so severe that she couldn't remember it. No, mama. So yeah, as this woman who'd gone uh, through birth trauma that was so severe for her that she couldn't remember any detail of her birth. And she said that it was other people's memories of what went on. It was not her own memories. And I found that so interesting because she just shut it out and she couldn't become pregnant. And after taking her case and looking at this whole whole picture, I thought it's, it's because you're so traumatized. Your body's thinking, I don't want to go through that again. So I didn't treat her for fertility mm-hmm. as, as such in a direct manner. I, I gave her a remedy to deal with the trauma. And I don't know how quickly this happened, but that remedy must have touched her lips. And a week later, she's, she said to me, I'm pregnant. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's fast. But after her daughter, I think was five or six. Mm. So six years of trying to become pregnant. Wow. And then just allowing her to process that trauma. Because she said to me, I remember the birth now. Wow. I remember it. Wow. And she said, it's not other people's memories now. They're my own. Mm. And I, sit, I, I can sit with it. And I'm at peace with it now. because. Mm. It's my own memory, so my body has started to heal, has started to process what went on. That's the part so, of homeopathy that I think a lot of people just don't understand, and that's the part that I'm trying to bring across with this podcast, that homeopathy can help with so much more than you can ever imagine. I think yeah. you know, people have such a limited idea of what it can do, but luckily as homeopaths we understand. 
I just quickly want to mention something. There is an amazing book that my midwife gave me after I gave birth to my son. It's called The Little Soul and the Sun, and it's by Neil Donald Walsh. And he's also the author of Conversations with God. But oh. there is actually a lady that reads out this book on YouTube. So if you just go on YouTube and you type in Little Soul and the Sun, and it will come up and it's 13 minutes and this lady has the book there and she reads it out. And that I always say that sums up my belief system in 13 minutes because it is just about how we all make soul contracts with, with each other. We are all actually pure spiritual beings. All We're all one. There's no separation. But we choose to kind yeah. of come here into our heavier energetic forms to learn certain lessons on this planet and to you know experience different things and the basis of it is that you know you can't see a light shining when it's amongst all the light you can only really see the light in the dark and so yeah sorry to spoiler alert but you know make sure you go and listen to the video on youtube it's just 13 minutes and it's just amazing and so when people go through these uh, experiences i often get them to go and watch that and say look you and your child or you and your partner ever chose to have this pathway together. You made a soul contract with each other to teach each other certain yes. lessons in this lifetime. And in the next lifetime, you might play a different role, but this is the role that that person or you are playing in this lifetime. So, yeah, that's my belief. That's, I, I think that that book, without even having listened to that, probably yeah. sums up my view of life as well. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, go watch it and let me tell you, uh, tell me about it afterwards. One other thing I want to say is, don't think homeopathy for our listeners is just limited to um, fertility, to, to just the aspect of getting you pregnant. If for, say, a physical reason you are not able to conceive, say, you know, if your partner had or yourself had cancer and all your eggs or all his sperm were frozen and then there was radiation, so you're not, I, are not able to go down a natural route and you have to go down uh, IVF, just remember that homeopathy can help you still, even though you're not going to be doing the, you know, even have, though you have to go down IVF. We have got homeopathic remedies made from the IVF drugs, which we can give you alongside the drug itself to help counter the side effects of it. Um, and yep. we have got, uh, yeah, just so many different remedies that can help support you through that process if you have to go down the IVF route. So, um, yeah, just, absolutely. Just, and, and you know, it can make sure you are part of that 33%. In fact, I'm starting something soon that where I'm on a mission because people have a choice and I, I respect people's choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and if people want to go down the IVF route for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know, because some people don't have to, but they feel that that's right for them and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, homeopathy can support that process as well. And I think I'm on a mission to make sure that there's as many of those people that are in that 33% success mm-hmm. rate. And then it would be actually interesting to do a study <laughs> to, see, <laughs> to see, you know, the difference between just pure IVF and then mm. using homeopathy as a support. Because I have supported people who um, have gone on an IVF journey mm. um, with homeopathy as well. Mm. And it was a success, surprise, surprise. Um, but, you know, even if we're talking about statistics and su- success rates, you will only ever um, have a 33% success rate with IVF if it was just doing the IVF. Because you're working against your body, when we're talking about the delicate dance of imbalance of your hormonal system, you're adding in synthetic hormones to force mm-hmm. it to do something. That's not healing. If you're using homeopathy, that is healing. So I think there's a between 70 and 80% success rate with using homeopathy to support infertility across the board with people who have had cases of infertility or people who, um, like me, specialize 
in, in using homeopathy to support infertility. I would definitely agree with that. It's at least 80% in my clinic. I've never done an official study, but I'm I'm actually struggling to think of when I haven't managed to get somebody pregnant. So, <laughs> And, you know, Liz yeah. Laylor says that she, with her protocol, for example, she's got an 87% success rate and she has actually documented every single case, which is amazing. Yeah. I, there was one client I had, and this was probably about three years ago, but she was also one of those that had to go down the IVF route for, you know, reasons. And she was 43. Three or forty-four, so age was a little bit against her. And the gynecologist said, she, or who you know, the fertility specialist said, she has a one percent chance of conceiving. And so all she wanted me to help her with was to get her uh, egg count up to be able to retrieve more eggs because they could only ever yeah. retrieve one or maybe two eggs. And after two months of homeopathy, they retrieved eight eggs for the first time ever. And spoiler alert, but her baby's about two years old now. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And she she wrote me the most incredible testimonial that I had up on my webpage for a while. But yeah, that was seriously cool. And getting receiving that baby photo makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah. But even, and you know, when I was talking about the birth, actually, I run this birth preparation course. So it's all about using homeopathy during labor and afterwards. The focus is really on labor. And I encourage partners to come along to do this because the last thing you need to be doing while you're trying to have a baby is thinking what remedy do I need but a client went through this course and she was just incredible just like one of the most incredible women it was her first kid she was I think she was in her 40s and she just said to me I want to do everything just right that's what she said right she said I want you know a natural birth I want to do it at home so I'm doing everything I can to make that possible I said okay so, you know, we chatted for two hours and it's very organic, this birth preparation mm-hmm. course. It's not just me talking. We have like a conversation. Um, and she said, yeah, that was great. It's like the missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And I got an email from her yesterday. She said, I did it. I had this incredible birth team. She had a male doula who's wow. amazing. And she said that her husband a week before just, I think, revised the the kit that I gave her. And um, what did she say? She said, I started feeling really nauseous. I started feeling nauseous during the, um, labor. during labor. She said, she gave, he gave me a remedy and it all disappeared. She said it was just incredible. Oh, um, good man. <laughs> I know. I thought, well done. My husband didn't even look at the kit when I said it. <laughs> I had to self-prescribe during labor. Oh. But, um, but it's just phenomenal. And, mm. you know, she, she got the birth that she wanted mm. and it just makes such a huge difference. You know, it makes such, such a huge, huge difference. It really does. So yeah. it was just as wonderful to chat with you the second time round. Can you please just quickly tell our listeners how they can get hold of you? It will be in the show notes as well, but uh, let our listeners know how they can get hold of you if they want to book a consultation because you see people online worldwide, right? Yeah, I see people online worldwide. Um, so I'm the wild homeopath. Um, and you're on Instagram and- as well, I saw. I'm on Instagram. Yeah. I love Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I do some really, you know, weird things. <laughs> Check it out. I think I'm getting the message across. And, you know, I think one of the things about infertility is is it's really, um, there's a lot of neg- negative emotions that you oh, feel with it. Yeah. And what I thought was, well, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be a nice idea to kind of, make people have a little bit of a laugh sometimes yeah, um so yeah I've got some quite kooky posts up there but yeah I'm at the what I'm uh, on Instagram the wild homeopath and I'm the wild homeopath.com 
Wonderful. So, yeah. Thank you so much. And I am sure there could not possibly go anything wrong with that. I'm, I'm sitting at a wooden table, so I'm tapping it right now. This. <laughs> make sure this file zoom if you're listening make sure this file converts properly (laughs) thank you so much for your time thank you see you bye